right, church family, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and you can find that on your device, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Going to continue my message I began last week on victimization, identity, and labels. While you're finding your place, let me just give you a little update. Uh, our children's ministry has shared with me that there is some rain in the forecast for Wednesday, and uh, if it does rain, we'll have a plan B. You can still bring the kids. We'll do something inside Wednesday night, all right? So we'll, we'll have a plan B. Maybe it, we'll, we'll just see what happens, all right? Let's pray for dry weather, but if it's, if it's rainy, we'll, uh, we'll set up and distribute the candy, and we'll do some things for those of you that planned on uh, doing our trunks and our trucks. To, you know, We'll set it up on the inside and, and let the, the kids have something special. That'll be very good. Let me ask you to do this. A couple of Wednesday nights, maybe three weeks ago, uh, you might be able to get this on a podcast. I took about 10 minutes in our Got Questions series and answered the, qu- the question, how should a Christian vote? Uh, if, you, if you're wondering, have questions about that, I'd like to refer you to that podcast. Let me just say to you today, I believe without question the Bible is clear that Christians are to be engaged in the government of the countries that they're a part of. Uh, we should be praying. I prayed for Barack Obama. I pray for Donald Trump. I pray for a president. I pray for our leaders according to the word of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is superior to political parties. And so my allegiance is to God. My allegiance is to his word. I feel very strongly that, that as a Christian, uh, one of the ways that we are salt and light is to participate in our government. We have the blessing of being in a democratic republic. That means that our voting determines our leaders. Uh, if we do not vote as Christians, then we are turning over the leadership of this country to non-Christian people to determine our leadership. And so I would strongly encourage you to prayerfully consider who you're going to vote for and to vote. Pastor, how would I decide who to vote for? Well, I, would, I always say, let's go to the Word of God. That's our standard. And let's try to find issues uh, that, that, that are uh, biblical, and let's vote to that. What, Pastor, what if there's not a Christian running for office? And let's look at the, what they stand for, what their party stands for. Let's compare it to the Word of God, and let's vote according to the Word of God. Let me encourage you to vote. Uh, it's, come, it's our opportunity to have influence. Again, uh, if, if we don't participate, then we, we have no reason to be disheartened or unhappy with who our leadership is. So I, as believers, we have that responsibility to pray. We have the responsibility to be involved and engaged in the process. And I believe that God will lead us and guide us. The Bible says that uh, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8 tells us that. So how many believe God will talk to us if we pray? You believe that? I believe he'll lead you and guide you? So let's put that before the Lord and let's pray and let's vote as Christians and, and, and exercise that influence that, that we can bring about. I wanna, want us to, again, to look at this, this uh, message I told you last week. It's two parts, victimization, identity, and labels. Uh, our culture today, without any question, is a culture that is being torn apart by victimization and the resulting consequences of that. If we, we look at, at, at who we are today, there's, there's probably few people who have not been, according to our current definition of victimization, have not been victimized in some way. Victimization is very real. It's very real. It shouldn't be underestimated. It shouldn't be overlooked. It shouldn't be treated as if it doesn't matter. People are hurting. People have been victimized. It's real. The issue is, how are we going to respond to that? And what are the solutions to that? 
And how do we respond to that as Christians? You and I must understand as believers, we have an entirely different way to live this life. Can you say amen to that? We, we are coming from a different place. We, we have been saved and redeemed and filled with the Holy Spirit and, and God has touched us. Uh, victimization uh, is, is uh, growing. We've, we are being told that uh, maybe one out of every three or four women today have been sexually abused in some way by the time they reached adulthood. Just staggering. A third of the women sitting in this room, a third of the women who live in North Alabama have had to deal with those kind of issues in their life. We're told that as many as one out of every six young men today that, that, that are here in this room today that, are, that work with you, that go to school with you, that live in North Alabama are victims of some kind of sexual abuse by the time they reach adulthood. Uh, it's one of the, the victimization, sexual abuse of children uh, is one of the primary causes of many, many things that are happening today. The great percentage of the men and women that are in our uh, drug and alcohol recovery ministries here at Calvary trace much of this back to sexual abuse in their life, physical abuse as young children. It goes on and on. Uh, we, we find it uh, affecting us in many ways. The prejudicial treatment of people, of minorities, victimization. What we see happening, uh, husbands leaving their wives, wives leaving their husbands, parents abandoning their children, victimization. It is a very real part of our culture. And to deny that would be foolish. But how do we respond to that? What do we do as believers to find our place in life? Victimization will real. It's, it's, uh, I told you last week, I think it's one of the greatest hypocrisies and one of the greatest intellectual uh, uh, oxymorons for people today who are leading the charge about victimization and identity are the very culture who sets the stage for victimization to happen. What do I mean? I, I hope you, very clearly, if, if you say there are no morals and there are no right and wrong and the Bible's not the word of God and everybody can do what they want to and if, so, if it's right for me, it's right. It doesn't have to agree with you. If I like it, it's okay. You can't tell me what to do. If that's the culture that we've created, then how could we be so hypocritical if that's what you believe and say to stand up and, 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 and call somebody else evil for victimizing someone? Because the void of morals, of values, of truth that, that this culture has eroded and devalued is the very breeding ground where victimization takes place in our society today. So if we're going to see an end to victimization, we need to have the beginning of the hand of God back on our lives again and back in our schools again and back in our homes again and back in the workplace again. The void, the void of the presence of God has created the opportunity for the enemy to come in. The Bible says that the enemy would like to come in like a flood, but God will raise a standard up against him. And if we want to stop the flood tide of victimization against the, the the un, uh, you know, deserving people of our nation, we need to raise a standard up again. And the standard is the word of God. The standard is the presence of God. If you can't find the courage to say right is right and wrong is wrong, then you have no right to speak about that on another situation in your life. It's just, that's hypocritical. It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's intellectually devoid. You have to understand cause and effect. So we understand why we're here and how this happens, but we, we have to go on beyond that. We have to be able to find what's the solution, what's the answer to that. How do we deal with these things? 
If we do not deal with them properly, what happens, I want you to hear this term, is that if we are, if our, see the next thing, if we live as a victim, you may have been victimized, listen to my language, my verbiage, you may have been victimized, but you do not have to carry the identity of a victim. You, you may have been victimized, but you do not have to carry the identity of a victim. If our identities are the product of our victimization, then we now have a filter by which we look at everything in life. If my identity is the result of what you did to me, if my identity is now the result of what was done to me, then I am looking at life through a filter, I want you to hear me, that creates an excuse for me to live less than what God has designed me to be. It is a door that opens for me to turn to counterfeit solutions to the turmoil that I'm facing in my life. How have we come to the place where a couple of three years ago, a, a young white man could walk into a, 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 a prayer meeting at a black church and sit there through a Bible study and then take a gun out and shoot everybody in that prayer circle? What, what, what kind of place have we reached today where yesterday somebody could go in a Jewish synagogue where people are worshiping God and scream out, all Jews must die and kill 11 or 12 innocent people? What in the world? What have we done because somebody doesn't like your politics that uh, a, a guy sends bombs through the mail to blow up the, the leaders of a political party that he disagrees with? You understand, listen to me, if you live as a person with a broken identity, then you're going to handle life in a broken fashion. What we have to understand is that hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. Bound people bind people. And unless we find a solution to the reality of victimization that is real, unless we begin to determine an identity that is not based on my victimization, we will repeat the patterns again and again and again. It is a counterfeit solution to a problem that probably stems from victimization somewhere. What we have made the mistake of doing is saying, well, you can't blame them because they're a victim. They, they acted that way because of this. I want to tell you something. We serve the God who is greater than any victimization that has ever taken place in your life. I, I, I use these words. I want you to get it. The God of grace. That means that no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, what Jesus did on the cross is greater than anything that has ever happened in your life. Grace unearned favor unearned favor I didn't deserve it I did not earn it I am not deserving of it but God has forgiven me healed me taken care of me grace grace means you get a new start but if you stop at grace and don't connect it to the power of God then you're locked into place it's one thing to be forgiven but it's another thing to be transformed see grace and power that's the gospel grace and power now I'm tied my shoes so I got to tie it here so that I don't fall off the platform and have to ask for grace <clears throat> for all of you laughing at me for who fell off the platform then you're going to have to ask God to forgive you for laughing if I fall off this thing so both of us don't sin I stopped and tied my shoe all right grace and power I'm thankful to be forgiven how many have been forgiven man I've been forgiven and I don't want you to raise your hand for this but some of us have been the victimizer and not just the victim but can I tell you, God forgives the victimizer. God not only forgives you, 
but he has the power to change you. I'm so thankful for that. See, at Calvary, we're, we're a come as you are. Everybody's welcome. People ask me, are, are homosexuals welcome at Calvary? Yes. Are, 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 are drug addicts welcome at Calvary? Yes. Are, are gossips welcome? Yes, Lord. Yes. But here's what we understand. Everyone's welcome. We preach a gospel that says, come as you are, listen to me, but don't leave the way you came. See, there's grace and power. Come as you are, but leave as he is. You get that? You're welcome to come, but change, 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 change. Are prejudiced people welcome here? Yes, but don't leave the way you came in. Are haters welcome here? Yes. See, it's scary. See, if you have a church of grace without power, do you see the mess you're making? Huh? You understand why the church has lost its power? Because the church has stopped preaching the message of power. And in America today, it's just grace, but no power. So, so look at the grace church. So, so, and I'm a grace church, but I'm a grace and power church. Got me? So what if we just have grace? Come as you are, come as you are. We start filling the place up with junk and identities and baggage. Are you with me? And a room full of broken people and baggage carriers. And, and, and you, you got me? You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You are welcome. But dear God, what a mess without power. See, you, you see what I'm saying? What did we create without power? But, but if we believe and preach and release the grace of God with the power of God, then God changes lives. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? That victimization does not have the final word in our life. So let, let's look at this. I know I asked you a long time ago, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Let's go back and just touch this real quickly with, with Paul, who was a hater and a persecutor of the church, one that, that was a victimizer and later became a victim. He saw both sides of it. But what did he say? 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 15. 1 Timothy 1, 15. He says this, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Come on, can we say hallelujah to that? But then look at this statement. Of whom I am the worst. Wow. But look, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy. The worst of sinners. Why was he shown mercy? So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Do you understand what we just read? Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. And why would God save the worst of sinners? To show an example to all the other sinners. That if he could give me grace and power to change my life, he can give you grace and power to change your life. That's what people are supposed to encounter when they come into our presence at Calvary. When they meet you at work. When they go to school with you. It's not a condemning, you dirty old sinner. It's saying, I was there, but look what God did to me. I am the worst of sinners. I had a lady. I had an identity. I, I, I was a person of, that was headed into the wrong direction, but God changed my life. God rescued me. God changed me. That, that, that's what Paul said. He said, I, I want you to see this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. I just want to establish these points as we go forward. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. So Paul says, man, I was the worst. 
I was the worst of them all. And then he talks about those who've heard his message. It did not stop with Paul. There was an example. This is for you and I, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. He says, and that is what some of you were. Come on, tell somebody that's who you were. That's who we were. Tell somebody that's who I was. But, 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 but look, and that is what some of you were, but you were what? Washed with what? Ajax? Tide? Dove soap? Listen to this. In, in the baptistry at church, is that the washing that did it? No. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ. But what, what, what changed the trajectory of our life? What removed our labels and flipped our identity? We were washed with the blood of Christ, we were sanctified. That, what does that word mean? That means we were set apart. God pulled us out of where we were and put us over in his kingdom. He said, I've got a plan for your life. Isn't that amazing? He not only forgave us, he had a plan for us. Wow. And then he says, and not only were you sanctified, you were justified. That means God considers you as someone who never committed the sin you were forgiven for. He not only said, I forgive you, the blood of Jesus erased that sin off the ledger in heaven. It's gone. It's gone. Washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. How many are thankful we're not who we were? Our identity, our victimization, what happened to us, we, we have been radically changed by the grace of God. Here, here, here's what, what's my identity. My identity is the way I look at myself and the way I look at the world around me. That's your identity. Let me ask you, what's your identity today? What do you say when you look in the mirror? How do you talk about yourself? How do you relate to the world around you? How do you, how do you look at people? How do you talk to people? How do you react to things? If, 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 that's your identity. That's who you really are. How you talk about yourself. How you think about yourself. How you react to other people and what they do. How, how you filter everything. The, the scope, the, 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 the lens through which you look at life. That's, that's our identity. You, you may, on the outside, have everything life can offer you, but how do you look at yourself on the inside? How, how do you label yourself? You know, I was excited yesterday. We met our Encore Seniors Ministry, had their first organizational meeting. Man, it was awesome. We had a great breakfast, and at the end, I was praying. I had the, I had the joy. And I wasn't there just because I'm... <laughs> fit the age group. Although I might... I was there just to preach or, or, or speak for the launch. No, I'm in that category. But I tell you, as I was praying, the Holy Spirit stopped me right at the end of my prayer and said, oh, I want you to declare over these senior adults because, man, we got an active senior adult group here. These guys are rocking and rolling. I'm gonna, in fact, they were the original rockers. These are the guys <laughs> who invented Heavy metal. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, these guys were the hippies. You ever seen the hippies? All, all you millennials think you're groovy and organic, and these are the guys that made it happen. I mean, these were the bell bottom wearing, Woodstock going. You, 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 let me tell you, you, you don't know what free is. These, thank God these people had some Jesus. You don't know. You, you, I will stop. I'll just stop. You, you, I mean, you, you, you do your history. You may, the, these guys, you know, you, you just, you're just hippie version two right now. That's, 
that, that's all you are. I mean, you know, who do you think grew the first beards? Come on. I, anyway, let's just, you know, it wasn't Duck Dynasty. It was the seniors at Calvary that were, anyway, I got to stop. So as we were praying, the Holy Spirit said, pray Isaiah 40 over the seniors at Calvary. And I said, okay, Father God, because see, sometimes we let people label us. We let people, you know, I notice people my age, there's like this 20-year uh, variance either way. I have some people my age, and they're already talking about, well, you know, I've, already, I've lived my life. And, you know, I got friends that are pastors, and all they can think about is landing the plane. I'm trying to strap another jet on the one I'm on. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to figure out how I can just refuel in the air. You know, those tankers that give me some gas and I didn't want to land but they're already like well you know I preached a long time and you know I've served the Lord faithfully and I'm like that dude's got one foot in the grave and the other one's slipping right now he's about to go so this is what we prayed yesterday we said we're going to change the way we talk see our identity we're going to change the way we look at things we're not going to talk about our arthritis and our bursitis and our rheumatitis and, and we said the Bible says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength in fact the verse before that says even the youth grow tired and weary come on but those that wait upon the Lord, don't get in our way, we're bad. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. What are they gonna, we're going to run and not grow weary. We're going to walk and we're not going to faint. We're going to mount up with wings like eagles. See, that's what God said. So what's your identity? We're not an old over the hill, got to do that thing. Man, we're running, we're walking, we're flying, we're soaring, we're renewing. Why? Because God gives you an identity this world can't give you. And if you don't catch that, you're going to miss something in your life. You're going to miss something in your life. Well, I didn't get an education. We'll get one. Nobody in my family ever graduated. We'll start a new trend. You don't know the neighborhood I grew up in. Well, I don't, but, but why don't you move to another one then? In fact, don't worry about the one that you grew up in. Why don't you get big enough to build a new one and then you can have your own neighborhood someplace you're going to. See, your identity is how you see yourself. And how you relate to the world around you. If we allow victimization to define who we are, our identity, we will never be everything God put us on this planet to be. See, you don't have a choice about being victimized, but you have a choice about the identity that you pick up in your life. And never forget, let's put John 10, 10 here. You have to see this. As a believer, you get this. This whole issue of victimization is bigger than people. It's bigger than circumstance. It's bigger than life. It is the strategy of hell to destroy your life. You have to understand the source. See, how did I get victimized? Because there's a thief. There's a thief. His name is Satan. And what did he do? He comes only to steal. You know what he did? He got somebody under his control to steal your innocence, to steal your dream, to steal your hope, to steal blessing over your life. So he wants to steal you. And then what does he want to do? He wants to kill you and destroy you. But there is another, there's the rest of the sentence. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have what? Life. And barely make it to the end of the road and go to heaven by the skin of your teeth and limp through life as a victim with an identity. No, he said, I came that you could have life and have it to the full, live it more abundantly. God will change your identity. He's bigger than your victimizer. 
He's greater than all these things. See, we have grace. We have power. I got a little more time today. I brought some of those scriptures I threw up all over the place last week. I didn't throw up. In the second service, I threw them on the floor. All right, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is who you are. Anybody want to know who God says you are? He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Tell somebody, I'm better than new money. Tell them right now. Come on. You look better than new money. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new. Come on, say, I am a new creation. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You say, well, what race was he talking about? Are you ready? Everybody raise their hand. The human race. Come on. <laughs> Somebody always wants to divide, divide us. We're just the human race. You're a chosen race. Uh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. John 1.12, we have been given the right to be called children of God. Next time somebody says, who's your daddy? He said, he made everything that exists. That's my daddy. Come on. We're children of God. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then we are heirs. Come on. You're an heir. You have a father. You have an inheritance. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Come on. Say, I am the friend of God. Ephesians 2, 20, 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece that is under construction I am his workmanship. Ephesians 4, 24. And we have put on the new self and we have taken off the old. Say, I've got a new me. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. What kind of love has the Father given us that we are called children of God? Hebrews 4, 16. With confidence, we draw near to the throne of grace. Say, I'm welcome in the Father's house. Come on, I am welcome. Ephesians 1, 11. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. And, and 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Come on, ambassador, represent the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Tell somebody, I'm still under construction. Come on. He's working. He's working. He's working. Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us before the foundation of the world. You're chosen. 2 Timothy 1, 9. He saved us. He called us to a holy calling, to his purposes of God. Romans 8, 14. uh, Those led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. We did not receive a spirit of slavery, of bondage, but we received the Spirit as adoption, as sons and daughters. Listen, you're Your mom and daddy didn't get to choose you. You just were born to them. But your heavenly father chose you. You've been adopted. Come on. You've been adopted. He chose you. Philippians 4.13. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Psalm 139.14. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ephesians 2.19. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Romans 8.2. The law of the spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. Isaiah 49.16. I I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. You are the tattoo on the hand of God. 
God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 2.14, he always leads us in a triumphal procession. You're in a victory parade right now in your life. John 15.16, I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness that you're the child of God. 1 John 3, 1, the love of the Father has given that we are called the children of God. Listen to this, Romans 8, 28, and we know for those that love the Lord, listen, listen, in all things, some say all things, in all things. God's not doing it, but in it, God's with you in all things. God is working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So the devil tried to steal and kill and destroy you, but in the middle of it, God put his hand on you and what the devil thought would kill you God just used it to put you where you need to be listen if your mother and father are the worst people on the planet and they rejected you and cursed you and abused you and neglected you right now you can stand up and say I am bigger than that I am above that you know what they messed me up but they brought me into this earth and God had a plan for me tag God's it now just walk off and forgive them and let it go because you are right now God's working to bring good things in your life John 15 5 says that he's the vine and we're the branches come on we're just hanging out with him right come on we're the branches all right Galatians 3 26 you're all sons of God through faith first Corinthians 5 6 and 19 know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit Romans 8 1 there is no condemnation for those in Christ second Timothy 1 7 for God did not give us a spirit of fear but power and love and a sound mind Ephesians 1 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ listen who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm somebody say I'm blessed come on Ephesians 2 6 I'm, I'm almost done and raises up with us and seated him with heavenly places in Christ and Romans 8 37 no and all these things somebody say it In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. See, I I, I thought about, you know, a great hashtag for us. Everybody's got a hashtag would be I was. But that's not good enough. What we need to do, our hashtag is I am. Come on, I am. I am the righteousness of God. I am a conqueror. I am an overcomer. I am seated with him. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Anybody listening to me today? That's who we are. That's who God says we are. I I, I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1. Let's let's look at Paul just for a minute. I got so many of these people who who shouldn't be in in this in this great list but but the grace of God did something Philippians chapter 1 now I told you Paul and and Philippians 1 and verse 3 Paul was a victimizer he threw Christians in prison he hated Jesus he 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 uh, separated families. He he caused people to be arrested, and many of them may have been martyred in the Colosseum. And when he arrested many as he could find in Jerusalem, then he's headed to Damascus to find more. When he encountered Jesus on the way, this man's reputation, his identity was so bad that even after he was first saved, when he came back to Jerusalem, nobody would associate with him. They said it's just a lie. 
Have anybody ever done that to you? They can't believe God really changed you. You know, I'm thankful God changed me. I remember my 10-year class reunion. I'd gotten saved after I'd graduated and gone to college. I got saved in college, and, and, uh, and, and I hadn't been around a lot of my old friends, and I hadn't lived back in, in the state, in the city that, that I grew up in. And I remember one of my buddies, I'll never forget this. You know, how they're all, you know how they do the class reunions, all the guys trying to, you know, beat a big shot and well, so uh, George, uh, you know, I've got this business I'm doing. So George, what are you doing now? You know, he had his little drink in his hand. I'll never forget this. It was awesome. He said, so uh, George, what are you doing now? I sent him a pastor. He went and broke it. broke right there on the floor, spilled his drink. And, and uh, you know, so somebody may find out who you are and it's like, whoa, stop the press. You know, but that's what God's supposed to do. They couldn't believe that Paul was who he says he was. They couldn't believe that, that God had so radically changed this man. But I want you to see his identity. Someone say identity. He could have had an identity based off his failures, based off his rejection. There are those that even, think of this, even when he got saved, many people didn't believe him. But here he is faithfully doing what God called him to do, preaching the gospel. And now the setting of the book of Philippians is that Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's in a Roman jail. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Sometimes he, at one juncture of his imprisonment, he was allowed to have his own home, but he was guarded there. So here he is in a Roman jail. And, 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 and I love this. Let's look at this. Look at his mentality. What was that, his identity? Uh, look, at, look at verse number three. He says, I think, now here's a guy in prison, chained up. Okay, what's his mindset? I thank God every time I remember you. He's writing to the church, you see. This is the church of Philippi. He said, I just thank God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. So here's this guy who, who preached the gospel to them, won them to the Lord. Now he's in prison. What he said, you know, when I think about you guys, it just makes me happy. I'm just full of joy. And I'm thankful here. And he says, I'm praying with you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse 6. Look at this man, chained up, locked up. He said, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's identity is that God's not through with me yet. See, Paul was in prison, but Paul hadn't given up. You see identity and victimization? He was victimized. The very Jewish leaders that he had once served now hated him. They wanted him dead. They wanted him in prison. They beat him. They ridiculed him. They rejected him. He was a victim of religious prejudice in his life. But what does he say? He said, you know, I'm in jail, unjustly prison, but I want you to know we serve the God that when he begins something, he's going to complete it. Paul was not a quitter. His identity was God's big enough to do what he said. How many love that identity? And then watch this. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, and somebody tells him, you know what, Paul? There are people preaching right now just to spite you. There are false preachers out there just creating trouble for you. Now, he could have got a victim mentality. Oh, poor Paul. Here I am in prison preaching the gospel. And here are these guys out there trying to give me trouble. That's just not fair. But what do we read beginning in verse number 12? I love this. He, he, he says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. <laughs> what about that? Instead of him whining about why I'm in jail, he said, God's going to use this to do something great. Hey, the next time somebody victimizes you, I want you to realize God's going to have the last word. I want you to realize you may think you're going to hurt me, but I'm going to keep this in God's hands. 
And at the end of this thing, it's going to be good for the kingdom. I'm going to be an example. Anybody listening to me? He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now, come on. They should be afraid. But Paul says, because of my attitude and identity in this prison, because I refuse to be a victim, he said, everybody else is becoming more bold around me. Is that amazing? Now, look at this verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Look at this. The latter do so, those in goodwill and love, knowing that I am here put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who are preaching it out of envy and rivalry, the former, what? Preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What we say? God sick them. Sick them, God. Get them, God. Tear them up, God. Look at Paul. But what does it matter? That's a person who's not a victim. That's a person who's got an identity. Says, you're going to do what you're going to do. But God's going to do what he's going to do. You can try whatever you want to try. You can lie about me. You can try to hurt me. You see, we spend, listen, listen, listen. We spend our time worrying about the people who victimized us. Instead of trusting the God who's setting us free from all those kind of things. The victimizers are going to victimize. The liars are going to lie. The haters are going to hate. The abusers are going to abuse. But there is a God who is greater than what they have done. And you can simply say, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul says, you are not even doing it the right way. But the word of God is so powerful, even out of the mouth of a liar, that I'm going to believe God's going to do something out of of it and I just thank God that's a free person right there his body was chained but his spirit was free you know there have been some false preachers and snakes and liars and cheats and we can worry about them or we can just preach the gospel and praise God and say God's going to do something despite all those rascals out there and I'm just going to worship the Lord my God Oh, come on, i got to hurry here. Look at this. Look at chapter 3. This is a man in prison. Look at verse 12. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I think he's doing pretty good. What about you? Look at his heart. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, come on, how do you stop being a victim? One thing I do, are you ready? Forgetting what is behind, huh? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, the focus of a person with the right identity, he he had a thousand reasons to be a victim. He had a thousand reasons to have a poor me identity. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm just going to reach for what's ahead of me. I've got set my eyes on the goal of God in my life and nothing's going to get in my way. I'm just going to get there. I'm on the goal. I'm moving. I'm going. See, that's what happens when we say, and I say it, you don't have a choice if you've been victimized. 
But you have a choice about the identity that you take out of that. Look at chapter 4. We'll stop with Paul, but you got to understand every reason to become a victim. And he chose none of them. Chapter 4 and verse number 4. Here he is. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now tell the truth. Tell the truth. Have you ever been having a hard time? Somebody dropped that line on you and you want to say, come on, tell the truth. You know what I'm saying? You're having the worst day of your life. Somebody said, well, just praise the Lord. I'm going to slap you is what I'm going to do. (laughs) Tell the truth. (laughs) Proverbs even says, don't sing happy songs to a sad heart. Some people have no sense. (laughs) I'm just being real. Some people have no sense. Their mama dropped them on their head young, and they've never gotten over it. But we got to love each other. Come on, everybody with me. Let's don't, don't get all, all sanctified, ugly looking at me like that. But you know what? Take a step back and get your eyes off those people who've got no timing and no discernment, huh? And look at God. Here's Paul in prison. False preachers trying to get him in trouble. Things, it's not fair. You don't play the fair card. That's, that's, that's not going to get you anywhere in life. It's just not fair. Forget fair. Remember God. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I want to remind you again, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And look, he tells you how to do it. Come on. See, he doesn't just throw out a, you know, a phrase at you. He, look, he says, here's how you do it. Let your gentleness be evident to all so you can't go around and slap people you don't like. The Lord is near. Now look at verse 6. Look at this. Do not be anxious about anything. Now come on, that's a rough one, isn't it? He said, don't worry about anything. How? He didn't just stop. Aren't you thankful? He didn't stop there. Don't be anxious about anything. But, he says, in place of your anxiety, what do I do? In everything, by prayer and petition. Do you know if you pray more, you'll worry less? Do you know if you pray less, you'll worry more? So he says, stop worrying about everything. In the place of it. What does he say? By prayer and petition with what? Oh, see that? Instead of me worrying about everything, I'm not in denial. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying I'm going to pray before I stress. I'm going to ask God before I let it blow me up. And then I'm going to give God thanks. Why? Because I know he heard me. Because I know he's with me. Because I know he's for me. Because I know he's bigger than what's trying to steal, kill, and destroy me. So with prayer and petition or with thanksgiving, I'm going to present my request to God. And what's the result of that? Look at this verse. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, come on, if your devil's trying to victimize you, brothers, sisters, Whatever is true, isn't it interesting he started with that? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, I'm going to have to decide what I'm going to think about. And if you can't get your mind on something good, get your Bible out and start reading. You don't have to get it on. Turn that worship music on. Get that Bible out and say, I'm going to begin to do this. Paul says something will begin to shift and change in your life. Now, I, I want our ushers to get ready. We're going to take communion in a minute, but let me, let me hit you with a couple more things. Victim, victimization. It's interesting. I, I don't have time. Maybe at another time we'll deal with this, all right? We're going to take communion together in a moment when I call for it. And, and, and what we're going to do is realize 
that this communion is supposed to remind us of the blood of Jesus and his body that was broken. We're about to take communion and be reminded that today is my day of freedom. Whatever has victimized me, I'm coming out today. Are you with me? Whatever has given me an identity that is stealing from me, I'm breaking out of that today. Now listen, listen, ladies, I want to I, I throw something right at you. And men, I want you to catch this. In, in the genealogy of Jesus, we're talking about victimization and identity. In the genealogy of Jesus, in the Jewish genealogy, you traced it down only through the men and only through a Jew. Okay? His earthly genealogy. That really was a genealogy of his father, Joseph. Okay? Because who? His earthly father, Joseph. But we know he was supernaturally placed in the womb of Mary. But if you look at the genealogies in the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke, in, the, in Matthew's genealogy, which should trace, according to the day, the line that came down all the way from Adam through the male members of the Jewish families. But there are five women that appear in that genealogy. Four Gentiles. Very interesting. It's like on purpose God said, I want you to notice something. Two of them, Rahab and Ruth, were not too far apart. Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho who protected the two spies that came in. And I don't have time to go there now, but, but her declaration was, your God is the real God. And I recognize who your God is. Come on, listen to me. And here is a Gentile woman prostitute who had every wrong label you could put on a woman, who was the least likely one to get in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But I believe in the wisdom of God says, I just want to remind you that when I am bringing people to Jesus... When I am lining up my kingdom, when I am setting things in order, when I am getting ready to reveal my son, I have the power to reach beyond what man can do and step over the labels and go around the traditions and move across the the victimization. And I'm going to find a little prostitute living in Jericho, the first city to be one in a promised land. And I'm going to change her heart and she's going to recognize I'm God. And she is going to become a a, a woman who birthed a child in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I'm going to use her. And what he's saying is the world can put every label on you that you can imagine and call you a victim. But when you walk into the kingdom of God, your label's gone. Your victimization are gone. Your future changes. And she's labeled as an ancestor of the Savior of the world. Rahab. If Rahab can make the genealogy of Jesus, you and I can break out of our victimization and our labels and our identity. See, our hashtag is not who we were, it's who we are. We're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. But you have to believe it. Ruth was a Moabite who married a Jewish man. When a family left in a, in, in a time of a famine, her husband died. Her father-in-law died. Her brother-in-law died. And, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, said, I'm going back to Israel. And Ruth says, if you go, I go. Because this is what Ruth said. Because your God has become my God. 
And so here's this woman who's not supposed to be included. She's a woman. She's a Gentile. She doesn't belong. But she said, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my customs. I'm going to leave my limitation. I'm going to walk off from my victimization. I could be labeled a poor widow and there's no hope for me. I could be labeled a Gentile and there's no hope for me. But I'm going to follow God. And God let her in. And she did what she could with what she had. She went around and gathered grain that was left over to feed her mother law she did these things and there was a man named Boaz who noticed this faithful little woman who would refuse to live like a victim who said if all I have is what's left over I'll pick up the leftovers if all I have is a little bit I'll do what I can don't label me a widow don't label me a loser don't label me a Gentile don't label me someone that's going to die I'm going to do what I can and Boaz says that's the kind of woman I want to marry and 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 Ruth became the great grandmother of King David the mighty ruler of God's people. I'm telling you today, God will flip your identity, flip everything wrong with you, turn it upside down for you. He'll put your name in places. People say, you don't belong. People say, how did they get here? Who are they? What right do they have? Your right is the blood of Jesus Christ. Your right is who he says you are. 